Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So last week, we praised somebody we don't often, Frederick Taylor, yeah. the guy who invented the software factory, essentially, and the idea that you could take something that was very complicated and required experts and train people to do it in a very simple way. This week, I think you're very excited. I could hardly stop you getting on the podcast here because <laughs> you were so excited about talking about what comes after that, about what goes beyond Taylor. So, so what happens after you've run Taylor for a while? What goes wrong? Yeah, uh, thanks, Ryan. I'm very excited about this. Um, you might remember that I was inspired last week to talk about praising Taylor uh, from reading uh, Team of Teams. And I got to the chapter where they talked about all the good that Taylor has been brought. And, uh, and I was very excited to talk about it because, as you say, we haven't done that very often. And we talked about bringing in, um, looking at Taylorism through the lens of the Kinevin framework and said, yeah, he had a real innovation here to go from uh, uh, take things that were complicated and break them down into simple. Uh, and then I had been expecting, I had been, I had been thinking like, well, the next, the natural step in Kinevin is to say, well, yeah, but what about the complex domain? You know, what about those things that you are not the domain of experts? And I, and I, I had thought that would be my focus, but over the past week, as I thought about it, I actually want to go in a different way. Um, I think there are some things that we understand uh, that people who've come across Kinevin before and have heard about complexity go, yeah, there's things that are so com so, co so complex. There's so many interactions. There's so many, um, uh, there's feedback and it's not something that anyone in the world knows. And therefore you need to probe sense respond. You need to go out and try things and experiment. And you think of cutting edge things like a self-driving car or the space shuttle or something like that with the uh, literally billions of moving parts. Yeah, that, that, those are great examples. Or, you know, from the book Normal Accidents, things like chemical factories with fluid dynamics and complex chemistries. And, but, you know, these, these inherently complex systems where there's a lot of feedback loops and you, and you really can't um, easily break it apart. Or maybe the area of innovation where, you know, you can't go and ask someone, you know, how do we create um, uh, uh, this new thing? Because, because like it's, People don't know. There's there's no expert to go ask, and that's the thing. Taylor Taylorism as a as a worldview replies on the uh, uh, relies on the expert that's going to break things down to make it simple. And if you have something where there is no expertise, where it's those interactions are are not something you can predict in advance, that doesn't apply. So that's what I thought I was going to talk about. But actually, I want to take it a different way. And the the reason is. One of the elements of Taylorism, a byproduct that happened, is something about social status. And uh, and I think that was the really negative side effect of Taylorism, is that Taylorism said it's the job of management to think uh, in this vertical hierarchy of people. We're going to have the thinkers and the doers. And there's this gap, there's a separation between the people who are designing this lovely machine of a factory with human cogs in there and the cogs. The cogs aren't expected to think. And we replicate this in software often with, uh, I see this very frequently where you have an, an offshore team and we're just going to give them the maintenance tasks and we'll tell them very precisely what to do. We'll give them extremely detailed requirements and they will crank out the mechanical work. This, yeah. will, this, will, this will all work out just fine. Um, it usually does not work out just fine. <laughs> it, it obviously it does it does not work out. And people who've had that experience, and and, and that's the problem is that, is that uh, there's two elements here. We we try to go and um, take down uh, the, the the software process and break it down as though you know it, it could be made into very simple steps that would work. 
and I think let's admit there are times where people kind of get this to work where they will, you know, through great effort, go ahead and make very detailed requirements and they'll send them to the software team and they'll bring them back and they'll have some and test it and they will eventually deliver something. So it's not like it doesn't work at all, but it doesn't work very well. And it, and it has, so, so there's better options. And I think that's where I want to talk about is the better options. Um, I think about this is going from Taylorism to Toyota. Uh, and because the lean manufacturing revolution really exemplified this change in mindset. And uh, what happened at Toyota was they weren't able, because of circumstances in the country post-World War II, to implement the sort of Fordist, Taylorist factory model that was being done in the U.S. So they had this sort of, they had to find a new way. And what they found was a way to actually uh, make better use of all these people, all these factory workers, that rather than have them in place as unthinking cogs, that there was a huge gain to bring them into the process to get their brains and eyes and hearts and minds engaged to see problems, spot those problems and, and help to solve them. And this idea of distributed learning, of pushing learning out to the periphery, out to where the work is being done, is, I think, another innovation that's as significant as Taylorism. And the thing that you'd have to have for that to be valuable is the, the need for observation at the edges, the need for thinking and creativity at the edges so that your offshore team can't just be, or, or there, there is something for your offshore team, for example, in, the, in, the, in that uh, uh, case to find. And I, I think the observation that's really interesting in the Toyota world is it seemed like there wasn't anything. It seemed like, well, we have a factory here and people have been making cars for a long time and what could possibly be better? <laughs> and it turns out that if you send people into the field, into the factory, with the mission to find things that can be improved, they find them. And there's hidden complexities in the factory. Uh, I, the one I know, but I think there are probably much better ones, is that um, the, the classic way to do it was to have your suppliers send you loads and loads of new wing mirrors or tires or whatever it was you're going to put on your car and keep a big warehouse full of them. And Toyota's innovation was to tell the suppliers, you have to move your factory to uh, uh, two doors down the road, and you're going to send us very small batches of many, many tires, um, but, but we won't have a big warehouse full of them. And they saved massively on their supplier costs and their warehouse management and so on. And you wouldn't have guessed that that was a problem. It didn't look like a problem. But it, uh, Ford and, and, and others who made cars didn't think of it as a problem. But it, Toyota was able to outperform them and out-innovate uh, and, and improve in quality by exactly by finding those kinds of issues, those kinds of hidden complexities. Yep. And, and that, that idea of, of just-in-time manufacturing, that's a great example of the kind of big change of mindset that came about. And uh, that's I really like that one because it, it, it gets to the heart of one of the weaknesses with of Taylorism, which was a focus on efficiency above all and a discounting of the ability to learn. And and just to, to put that into frames, it was in, in a Taylor's view or a Fordist view, it's more efficient to have these big batches all at once. And because we get economies of scale, right? And that was the thinking that dominated uh, earlier. What, what just-in-time manufacturing does 
is it optimized not for efficiency, but for learning? It says, well, if there's something, if there's some defect in that batch, well, then I have a big batch of stuff that's broken. <laughs> if, if, if I'm doing small batches and I learn something, I discover a problem, then I, I only I can I can get much faster feedback. I can bring that learning into the system much faster. I can run two doors down the road and tell them to stop making the tires with the holes in them. <laughs> exactly. And and there's, so there's an element here of 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 then of I think two two things occurred to me. One is this idea of feeding learning back, and the second is having a, a higher standard of of saying we should be able to make better predictions about what's going to happen. I was reminded of when we've talked before about the art of action by Stephen Bungay. And he talked about Von Moltke and the idea of three types of friction uh, uh, and that prevent us, our plans from going that we expect. And and the the third of the three frictions was, uh, sorry, the, the three gaps. And the, the third gap was the effects gap. And the, that was the gap between what we predicted our actions would be and what they actually were. <laughs> And the effects gap can only be seen by the people who are doing that work. They're the ones who are in the best position to spot the effects gap. And in the art of action, the overall mission there, the overall theme there is about um, uh, this mission command structure where you have clear alignment that allows people at the edges to adapt based on what they see. That they're that they're not frozen. That they don't need to send back to headquarters to figure out. Well, what what do we do now that our, our the, this, we found this unexpected thing, um, and and they have enough knowledge to go ahead and and work around problems. This is something slightly different, which is saying we're we're going to say when we come across these um, items that are unexpected, our goal is not merely to work around them; it's also to learn from them. It's also to say that there's a lesson here that this this gap was a gap in our in our knowledge, a gap in our understanding, a gap in our ability to predict. This is really well um, uh, articulated by uh, Stephen, Dr. Stephen J. Spear of MIT, uh, who I've we've mentioned before and his book uh, High Velocity Edge. Uh, but we'll also link to something else. It's in uh, more recently he had a uh, uh, article. Uh, and a, a YouTube video, and we'll link to both, saying, you know, don't be a zombie organization. And he, he was talking about zombies, saying, what, what's the threat of zombies in a zombie movie? You know, typically the classic zombie is this slow-moving, shambling <laughs> kind of thing. And it's, it's not that uh, any given zombie is all that dangerous. It's the mass of them. It's there's so many of them that you're eventually overwhelmed. And, and his analogy is that's what happens with these sort of small problems in most organizations that that there's these these small problems these unexpected things that turn up in these effects gaps and we um we, we kind of work around them in the moment and we miss the opportunity to learn from them and it's the high velocity organizations are ones that that they they don't uh tolerate in a sense, the unexpected. Uh, they they see when there's a deviation from expectation, there's something that they should do differently. And I was in thinking about this. I was thinking about you know for our audience, how many people have heard of like oh this is a flickering test. <laughs> yeah, I, I I run them, and you know every fourth time one of them fails. But we we know it's just something funny about that test. It's okay. 
um, you know, let's just run it again. Oh, look, it passed. It's fine. Let's deploy. We're 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 back to normalization of deviance to to use the um, the phrase that um, uh, Diane Vaughn used when uh, analyzing the Challenger disaster. Yes, exactly, and, and that's and that's what happens in most organizations. Um, and it's 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 ironic because we go back what what humans are better than robots in that they can sp see these problems as they happen and work around them and and because they do want things to succeed they they do or become very proficient at working around the uh the the problems that arise the problem though is they very often have just a focus on delivery they they think of their job as just to get this thing done yeah i just want to get the release out and so this annoying flickering test well i'll, I'll just kind of ignore it it's okay it, it's always been okay before yeah that's uh, right until until it's not okay Exactly. And this is when this is when the, the danger comes is we have so many of these little workarounds out there we, and each workaround represents a gap in our knowledge, a gap in our understanding. And eventually all of those gaps align in just the wrong way. And that's when we have disaster. And what's surprising to me is, or well, not quite surprising, but what I think is um, insightful about this way of looking at it is the, the observation that we have these uh, kind of surfaces, these um, interfaces that we've created. And I'm sure lots of our listeners have continuous integration tools that show them the tests in beautiful uh, uh, colors and they're red and green and they're, they're giving them indications. I bet some of them, I bet somebody's done this. I haven't actually looked, but I bet somebody has created a mark this is flickering extension <laughs> for Jenkins or something like that. And yeah. they, they have all these um, simplifying uh, um, characteristics. So it looks like it's the equivalent of laying bricks or um, uh, grinding grain or something that people have been doing for thousands of years. Hey, all I do is I push this button and then the release goes out. It's great. And I can push this other button that says ignore the tests. And that worked great. <laughs> and so this is simple. Hey, I don't have to worry. I don't have to turn on my brain and look for errors and consider whether or not I'm being a zombie or anything like that. I can, I can just push the buttons and the outcome, except, wait a minute, oh, it didn't work. Hang on. Now what do we do? Uh, I'm reminded of um, uh, the movie Wall-E, where uh, the, the humans had gone out in space and uh, created all these systems around themselves that made life completely simple, and they were just fat blobs sitting in a uh, in, in chairs. And, and then the system breaks down, and everyone says, well, I don't know. <laughs> Where's the button that you push to make the system work again? Well, wait a minute. I don't know where it is. Right. Uh, they have to suddenly operate in the hidden complexity of the system they've created. And that happens to us a lot as well, especially in these uh, complex systems for you know, deployments and creating software and so on that we think we can hand off as being very simple and, and operate in a tailorist way. And we can't actually. Yep. And, and I, I do want to come back to one more thing because this uh, idea of like, yep, and disaster can happen is, um, is, is definitely true. Uh, and I want to acknowledge at the same time that disaster doesn't usually happen. And so you might think, well, you know, that's the danger of it is, is most of the time when you release with a flickering test, it is fine. Yeah. And, and, and that's true, but I want to, I want to call out one other element, which I think is, is important because we don't talk about the difference between, I mean, we can, we go and say like in, 
in the automotive world, world, we can say, you know, there are those disasters. You know, there's the Toyota, there's the Ford exploding Pinto, there's the um, Chrysler um, disaster of uh, the um, shutoff ignition that would 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 turn off and and uh, would also disable the airbag. And so while you'd be driving, your car would suddenly the steering column would lock, the airbag would disable, and people would would die in crashes as a result of a defect that goes back to this focus on efficiency. So there is that disaster aspect that relates to, um, uh, to, to when these problems happen. However, I just, the, we often talk about, or we have in times talked about the joy <laughs> that comes from working in an agile organization. And I want to come, come back to that. What I think is for me, what is most interesting is not just the ability to avoid disaster. It's so much better. <laughs> it's so much more fun if we remove these frictions from our day-to-day -day life. I mean, yes, we're preventing disaster, but there's something else, which is the, the, as the worker, as the people doing the work, we have to live with these frictions all the time. We have to work around them all the time. They're annoying. They, 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 they get in the way of our flow and our enjoyment of our work. And the annoyance is a useful signal telling us that we should pay attention to it. Exactly. And, and this would come back to this point of status, which is the Taylorist view would say, look, as long as we're getting the parts out, as long as we're get, making the delivery, that's what matters. And if, uh, if the workers have been indoctrinated in that, then they learn to live with those frictions. Okay, look, our, our job is to get stuff out. We're going to work around the problems as they come up and we're going to move on to the next thing. And as long as it's all working well enough, that's good enough. And I think there's something that we can aim higher. If we, it, the evidence is if we want to be a really high-performing organization, then that's not good enough. The, as you say, we, we, the status of the workers needs to be higher so they can say, hey, look, this is a problem. This is annoying. This gets in my way. That we don't allow anyone in our organization to suffer routine friction routine pain. We, we Instead, we look at each of those as saying, look, there's something here we don't understand. If we understood it better, we would, it would, this would all be smooth. This would, would be closer to effortless. And that should be our goal if we want to be high-performing, if we want to be like Toyota, a, a world-recognized leader in excellence. Then it's about having higher standards. And to achieve those higher standards means elevating the status of the people doing the work so that their experiences matter, what they see matters, and we're willing to to, uh, to learn from them, and that they're empowered to go and, and raise their hand and say, look, this is there's a better way here. This is not working the way it should. And when we can tap into that, then I think we have a, a, a transformation in productivity that's on the scale of what happened uh, with Taylorism. And I think this is when we talk about going from Taylorism to Toyota, when we get beyond Taylorism, it's this idea of getting everyone's brain involved. And, and really, the, the end result is under, under Taylorism, famously, people in a Taylorist system hate it. <laughs> Wherever Taylorism was introduced, there, there was all kinds of labor unrest. There was this classic alienation of the worker uh, uh, um, from their work. We can do better, and and and, and that's what I what I hope people will will have as their aim, which is to to look at the the human element here, and uh, to say let's use our annoyance and our, our ability to spot friction and solve problems to give ourselves a, a much better uh, results and a much better workplace to live in. There we go. Okay, so if our listeners are um, 
using uh, uh, flickering tests as a trigger, or if they're not and they're interested, they want to help their teams be uh, uh, on higher alert for problems of that kind. If you are outsourcing to somewhere far away and you're, you're noticing that you're treating those folks as uh, lower status and the, those folks are not providing uh, useful input and you're, you're getting disasters as a result. Or if you work in a car factory, we'd sure be interested <laughs> and you're feeling alienated. Uh, we'd sure be interested to hear from anyone in any of those environments. You can always get in touch with us via conversationaltransformation.com or you'll find a mailing list and videos and Twitter and email and every other kind of way to, to interact with us and get in touch. And of course, we like it when you hit the subscribe button and whatever tool you're using to talk to us. That, that's a nice simplification of something complex that has to go off and subscribe to our feed, but you don't have to worry about it. You just hit the button and then you get to hear from us every Wednesday when we come out and talk more about uh, whatever's beyond Toyota, perhaps next time. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.